we need to remind ourselves, exhort ourselves, come my soul, now rejoice. Um, it's easy to fall into the miasma of gloom and uh, look on the uh, gloomy side of things. I'm sure Gene won't mind me, me saying one of our, our members was hit by a, a van uh, during the week. Uh, she was out shopping. She's in, well, she's moving on in years. I won't give her her age, but uh, a van hit her uh, in the car park. And uh, then she went off to hospital for some x-rays. She's come back home. Uh, last week, she had a new suite delivered with a reclining chair. It's a very comfortable new suite. And uh, in talking with her, she said to my wife, isn't God good? He knew I was going to be knocked over and he's provided me a new suite to relax on. Now, that is being positive in the Lord. Uh, that is not looking at, oh, why has God allowed me to be hit by a van? Uh, he's given me a new suite just in time for me to be able to relax. We can learn a lot from uh, Oates, who are there as an example to us how to live this glorious Christian life, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, O oh, my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. In Luke's Gospel, and chapter 3, we've been quite a while in Luke's gospel, but now the Lord Jesus Christ uh, enters into history. And it's verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3. Now, when all the people were baptised, and Jesus also had been baptised, and was prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my, with you. I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism. Uh, Luke begins, verse 21, with this word. Uh, now, there for us to take note. Luke wants us to take note. Now, notice this, says Luke. Jesus was baptised. Jesus was baptised. Three simple points this morning. Why was Jesus baptised? Uh, what happened as Jesus was baptised? And then what lessons can we learn from the fact that Jesus was baptised? First of all, why was Jesus baptised? In chapter 3 of Luke and verse 3, we read this about the baptism of John. And he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So baptism, John's baptism, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So why was Jesus baptised? We, we know and we see and we understand that he was pure and perfect, the spotless Son of God. Why was he baptised? Well, not, let's start with a negative, not to take away his sins. Why then was he baptised? Here are a few uh, thoughts of the truth about the matter. First of all, right at the start of his work and his earthly ministry, it was a picture of what he was going to do. The baptism of Jesus Christ was a picture and a portrayal of the work he had come to do. 
and he had come to wash away our sins. Have you been, listen my friend now, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing floods? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There is no hope, no hope outside of him, no hope outside of Jesus. It's not our church attendance, it's not our hymn singing, it's not our prayers, it's not our good deeds. It is Jesus alone who washes away our sins. And right at the start of his ministry, he is baptised as a picture of the work he is come to do. There is no sin in him. His baptism is a picture of what he will do for poor people like you and I. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, I've got a wonderful summary of the work of Jesus. For our sakes, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To know God, I need a righteousness, and it's not self-righteousness. I need a righteousness that matches the righteousness of God. I cannot produce it, and no religion can. But the reality is this. God comes and fulfills all righteousness for me in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived that fully righteous life, and then on Calvary, He is made to be what I am. He suffers the penalty for my sin, which is eternal hell. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. The grave couldn't hold him. He burst forth from the grave on the third day. As the Old Testament said he would, and as he said he would, he rose again the third day, proving him to be the Son of God with power and demonstrating for all humanity that his work actually works. Approved of God the Father, risen from the dead. But on Calvary, he stood in my place. Oh, his baptism is a picture and a portrayal of all that he was going to do. There, uh, put into a little portrayal By the River Jordan, in the River Jordan, is an enactment of the gospel which he had come to fulfill. He dies and he will rise again. And his death and faith in him alone will wash away all my sin. He is my representative. The Bible makes it clear. He dies in my place. He lived in my place. He died in my place. He rose again. And if I'm in him, all that counts for me. Jesus Christ dies in my place. He is my vicar. To be a vicar means to stand in somebody else's place. His death was vicarious, from which we get the term uh, vicar. It's a a term that some uh, denominations use, or he's our vicar. My friends, I understand it is just a, a term that's used. But there is only one vicar. Now, there are many priests. And uh, again, I, I have difficulty with the term priest for a man who stands in a church and performs works because the impression is that uh, he's representing me before God. He, he cannot do that. There's only one. 
one who can represent me. It's Jesus Christ, but at least the Bible does say every believer is a priest. And we come to our high priest, Jesus Christ. But there is only one vicar. Truly, there's only one vicar. It's Jesus Christ who represented me here on planet Earth. And oh, his baptism is a picture of the work he is going to do. Secondly, we can say this about his baptism. His baptism shows his full identification with us. He really is Emmanuel God with us. Jesus Christ is fully divine from all eternity, but becomes fully human. He really is one of us. He becomes fully human. Fully God, fully man, one person, two natures. He is never a human person. You can read around these things. It's interesting. It's helpful to get these things right. He is the person of the eternal Son of God. But he becomes fully human. He has a human nature, a human body. But he is the person of the eternal Son of God. One person. He's not two persons. One person, two natures. And he fully identifies with us. That's why I read the passage in uh, Matthew chapter 3 that shows a little bit more light on why he was baptised. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him. Now John is hesitant. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptised by you. Remember he said, there's one coming who's mightier than I. The latches of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here he comes. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Baptize me. I need to be baptized by you. And you would come to me to be baptized let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus will so enter into our humanity. He will go through all the things that we go through, yet without sin. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. His baptism is his full identification with you and I. We need to be baptised. He was baptised. It's a portrayal of what he's going to do. It's his full identification with you and I. And a third thing I'd say about his baptism would simply be this. It marks the beginning of his public ministry. For 30, for 30 years he's been on planet earth and been obedient to Mary, to Joseph. He's grown up in Nazareth. He's learnt the trade as a carpenter. There's the incident at the age of 12 years old. He's in the temple, but mainly he is hidden from humanity uh, John the Baptist isn't uh, clear as to who he is. He's given a sign he would see to mark out and identify the coming Messiah, the Christ. 
And now at the age of 30, he begins his public ministry. And he begins it with this baptism. It's as if he's saying, and he's quoting the Old Testament, and Hebrews chapter 10 picks up this uh, quotation from Psalm uh, 40. Here I am. Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. And now here I am. I come to deliver the work the Father has sent me to do. So Hebrews 10 and verse 5 and onwards. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. All those Old Testament sacrifices and offerings accomplished nothing of eternal merit. They were there as pointers towards Jesus, shadows of what he was going to do. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. In his baptism, he says, Here I am. I am here to do your will, O God. I might have mentioned this. I was converted in uh, Australia in 19... Have I mentioned that? I'm not so sure. 1976, converted in Australia. And I was due to come back to, uh, to the UK shortly afterwards. So uh, there was no baptismal service in the, in the church where I was converted uh, but the minister said to uh, a group of folks, take him down to the sea. And we held a service on the beach and I was baptised within two weeks of my conversion uh, in the ocean there off the Gold Coast of Australia. Marked a public declaration from me, nailing my colours to the cross. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And what about you, my friends? If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, my question to you would be this. Have you been baptised? If not, why not? So there, first of all, is why was Jesus baptised? It's an identification uh, with us. It's a picture of what he's going to do. And it marks the beginning of his public ministry. Here I am. Not my will, thy will be done. I've come to do your will Oh Lord. Secondly then, what happened as Jesus was baptised? He's baptised in the River Jordan. There's all the symbolism, symbolism of it there. It's ordinary water. He goes down into the water. He comes out of the water. And then extraordinary things begin to happen. First of all, we learn the heavens were opened. Now, this is something physical that takes place. Uh, Isaiah says in the Old Testament, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, rip them apart, and come down. The, the heavens. It's the he What's the heavens? I'm not just thinking about clouds and planets and the moon and Jupiter and the sun and galaxies. We're thinking about the heaven of heavens the dwelling place of God, multitudes of angels, the souls of just men made perfect. We're thinking about, my friends, the ultimate reality 
this world is temporary. There'll come a time when this building won't be here. This body won't be here. Uh, no, there'll be no Cardiff uh, here. There'll be no Premier League and no cricket out in, in India. Uh, all these things will come to an end and God will make all things new. And reality will be here with us, ultimate reality. And what happens as Jesus is baptised? Oh, the heavens were opened. Thought that heaven, which was sealed by sin, was opened by Jesus. And there's a picture at his baptism of what lies ahead of you and me. It's a foretaste of glory. It's a picture and a glimpse of the ultimate reality. There are other places in the Bible where we read that the heavens were opened. At the death of godly Stephen, a deacon in the early church, dragged before the Sanhedrin. Acts 7 and verse 55, But he, this is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Glimpses of glory. Uh, the angelic, heavenly, eternal realities impinging and piercing into human, earthly, temporary, temporal realms. My friends, we're not going to see, let me qualify that, I think it's highly, highly unlikely that you and I will ever see such a physical manifestation that Stephen saw uh, that happened at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's recognise this, it's only a picture of the ultimate reality and every time I open my Bible, Every time I say my prayers, every time there's a church service such as this, I'm not going to physically see uh, the roof disappear and the heavens opened up and physical manifestations, but I ought to desire to know the spiritual reality of those things impinging on me here and now. I should seek such times as those keep the object in focus otherwise again the miasma of the world will pinch the gloom a look on the dark side rather than the realities of God with us oh first of all the heavens were opened secondly the Holy Spirit descended on him the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A dove. Symbol of peace, God's peace. And the Holy Spirit physically in the form of a dove descending on the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, great to have Calvin saying, Amen, 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 all the way through. It's uh, wonderful uh, to hear the children here with us this morning. Jesus. Now, why is the Holy Spirit settling on him? The form of the dove, symbol of peace. 
throughout the Old Testament times, when anyone took up a public ministry, maybe a prophet or a priest uh, or an earthly king, there would be an anointing. And uh, they'd be anointed with oil and the oil would be poured upon them and the fragrance would fill the place where the anointing was taking place. It happened to prophets, it happened to priests, it happened to kings. Jesus is all three. He is my prophet, my priest and my king. He is my prophet. He brings the word of God. He reveals God to us in all his fullness. He is my priest, my great high priest. He's the one who intercedes for me. And he brings me to God the Father. He is my king. My conversion, I bow the knee. Surrender fully to him. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Oh, Jesus Christ knows the ultimate anointing. It's not with oil that was only symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit himself who descends on the Lord Jesus Christ and stays with him throughout his ministry. John tells us in chapter 3 that Jesus Christ was given the Holy Spirit without measure. He's given the infinite Holy Spirit. We're told that uh, we receive out of Christ's fullness. Jesus has infinite resources. We receive the Spirit in measure. He received the Spirit without measure. And Jesus is infinitely able to help you and I. My friends, if we are dead, Jesus is life and dispenses life. If we are weak, Jesus is strong. If we are ignorant, facing an uncertain future, Jesus is wisdom feeling guilty this morning, Jesus is righteousness. Oh, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit without measure. The Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And finally, for what happened as Jesus was baptized, a voice comes from heaven. There's a declaration and there's an affirmation. First of all, a declaration you are my son, Luke tells us. Matthew tells us that the voice said, this is my son. And both are very, very wonderful. To Jesus, the God the Father speaks, you are my son. And to the crowds, he says, this is my son. And then there's a wonderful affirmation. With you, I am well pleased, not just pleased, but well pleased, overflowing with pleasure. It's as if in the baptism and certainly God the Father in his eternity and his infinity sees all that Jesus will accomplish and he says, with you, I am well pleased. He saw it all. Well, there's his baptism. Why? It's a picture, it's an identification, it's the beginning. What happens? Heavens. Rent. They can be rent for you by faith this morning. 
the voice, the spirit. What do we learn? What do we learn? Number one, some quick lessons. Here's one. I must be baptized. All right? Do you get it? I must be baptized. He was baptized. I must be baptized. This is not a suggestion from the minister. It's not a suggestion from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It's not an option. It is a command. And as I'm baptized, I say to a watching world, I am a Christian. So, if you're listening comfortably at home this morning and you haven't yet been baptized and you are a believer, don't be comfortable. Be uncomfortable. Be challenged by the command from Jesus, from the Word of God. If you have faith in him, if you have believed, nail your colours to the mast, be baptized. If you're sat here this morning and you are a Christian, you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you haven't yet been baptised, Jesus was baptised, it's something at the start of our life with him together, as an act of obedience, as a public declaration, I am a Christian. There's the first lesson. Second lesson, what a wonderful revelation of the being of God at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Is there any doubt that something of the mystery of the being of God is revealed here? Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is God the Father. Here is the Holy Spirit. The Father saying to the Son, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit coming upon him. Whenever baptismal services take place in a Christian church, we repeat uh, that uh, triune uh, blessing on the one being baptised. As you have made your profession of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember your time you were baptised here? And what did the minister say? I baptise you in the name, one, unity, the name of the Father, the Son, and the, and as I say, Holy Spirit, down you go. And if you're here, of course, I brought you back up again. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful picture of the gospel. It's what Jesus did for you. Uh, he lived for you, he died for you, he rose again, you died to your old self, you've been risen to newness of life. Oh, how wonderful. But what a picture what a picture of God in triune splendor. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Third lesson we can learn from the baptism of Jesus. Isn't it great, wonderful, marvellous to see the triune God is fully involved in our salvation. I've forgotten how it was our home group on Wednesday just thinking about, I'm reading through John Owen, uh, Dr. Law's abridgment. And I'm looking at communion with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So many Christians have got a wrong view that uh, it's God the Father who is very angry. And God the Son comes to uh, do something that will twist the Father's arm and take away his anger that he might love us. But that's a travesty. The reality is that uh, the Father loves us with an everlasting love. Before the foundation of the world, it's God the Father 
who so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. <laughs> and whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Oh, the triune God is involved in our salvation. The father, because of his love, his eternal love, sends the son. And the son, because of his eternal love, is willing to come into the world. And the Holy Spirit, because of his eternal love, is willing to empower the work of Christ and then come and apply it to hearts, listening on YouTube and Facebook and in the chapel here and stir poor, cold, weak hearts and give strength and light and life and heat. Oh, the Holy Spirit applying these things. The triune God is fully involved and engaged in our salvation. And truly, therefore, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. What a comfort. Whoever, whatever, may be seemingly against us, the world, the flesh, the devil, circumstances, maybe you're passing through so many in the congregation who are very unwell, people facing perplexing situations, hardly know which way to turn, uh, what's the right decision to make. Oh, my friend, the triune God is for you. Triune God is for me, fully invested from eternity to eternity. If God is for us, who can be against us? Another lesson to learn from this. Interesting. Jesus carried out his ministry, and we'll see this in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given him without measure. It just reveals to you and I how much we need the Holy Spirit. How often do we ask for him? How often do we seek his illuminating help? Every time I read the Bible, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. Does it, would it, should it surprise us we find the Bible often dry and just do our bit? If we don't really understand or stir ourselves to see what we're doing, I want to see heaven opened. I want to see all glory pass before my spiritual eyes. Open my eyes, for they're dim, that I might see wonderful things out of your word. Any ministry for him that I carry out must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, or it's, a, 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 it's just a, a fleshly thing that will have no lasting effect. And when I think about ministry, I don't just mean preaching, I mean driving your van to the glory of God, being a mother, bringing up children to the glory of God, being a father in the factory or the office, being a teacher at school, uh, being an architect, being a whatever, put a whatever you like there, being an audiologist, being a, a retired person, being a, a schoolboy, being an accountant, being an airline pilot. One of the most glorious positions is to be a mother in a home. What a ministry. What a, what a, a burden. And how, how do I do this? Only by the grace and with the power of God. So by ministry, I don't just mean preaching. What I'm doing here is a ministry. But if you're a mother in a home and dad's gone to work, the nappy needs changing, the kids need feeding, there's the school run to do, there's the screaming abdabs and the whatever might be going on. 
how you need the grace of God and the power of God. And you, you just need to pray and God will bless and honour and give you strength. Any ministry, if Jesus needs the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit? And then that lovely promise, Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Coming towards a conclusion uh, now, another point to draw from this. Interesting, is it, that Jesus, that Jesus heard these words from heaven. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. I wonder, if heaven were open now and God spoke about you, what would he say? Well, I tell you, if you are a Christian, he would say exactly the same. Just exactly the same. You are my son. And with you I am well pleased. Not because of what you are doing, but because of what Christ has done for you. The Christian is in Christ. We are hidden with God. We're in Christ. And his life counts for me. I trust him. His life covers me. He took my sin and nailed it and took it away as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deeper sea, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are G-O-N-E, gone, gone, gone. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As he looks at me, he sees his son. If the heavens were open now, well, I take it from the word of God, he would save you. You are my son. With you I am well pleased because you are in Christ final point I'd make it's only Luke who points this out all these things happen as Jesus was praying as Jesus was baptised and was praying heaven was open the spirit descends the voice comes from heaven so just to point out again the vital place of prayer in my life and your life individually and as a church we need to be about our prayer life, corporate and individual. And in our, think of our individual prayer. Again, the objective is fellowship with him. Jesus prayed. Why would he need to pray? He's God in essence. He is God and one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. Why would he need to pray? And he does pray and it's communion. It's a picture of the wonderful fellowship enjoyed in the being of God and that I can enjoy because I'm in Christ, access to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Oh, stir up my heart to pray, fellowship with God in a corporate prayer meeting, something very special, even when it's over Zoom, my friend, even over Zoom. Zoom's not mentioned the Bible for some reason. I don't know why, but... Uh, Probably because it hadn't been invented. But uh, I thank God it has been invented so we can enjoy rich fellowship over Zoom in a Zoom prayer meeting. Because we come to one God and we're linked together by the one Holy Spirit. And so we pray and have fellowship uh, together. And oh, as we pray, the effects of prayer. If I had time, I'd read a quotation. I've missed one out already from John Owen. There's one from Charles Simeon, but... Time has, time has gone. The effects of prayer. Keep on in prayer, my friends. Ask, seek, and knock. Oh, Jesus, as we were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And he saw heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well 
please. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to look in wonder on your word and to respond with love and praise and full obedience to all you have to say to us as our loving Heavenly Father. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen.